Welcome to episode 66 of the Writer Magazine Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Drevenstead. Our guests today are Jonas Zahn and Brenda Cool, who will be competing in the Motorcycle Cannonball, a cross-country endurance run on antique motorcycles. It's an event that's held every two years, and the model year criteria and route changes with each event. The 2023 Cannonball is limited to pre-1933 motorcycles, and it will have 100 entries. The event is scheduled to run from September 7th to 24th, and it will start in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and conclude in Oceanside, California. Over 18 days, Cannonball competitors will travel through 10 states and cover more than 3,800 miles. Every rider and motorcycle who participates in the Cannonball has a story, but Jonas Zahn, uh, Brenda Cool, and their 1928 Motoguzzi sidecar rig have a particularly interesting backstory. So, uh, Jonas, Brenda, welcome to the show. It's great to see you both and your, and the Moto Gucci right behind you. Fun to be here. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. And uh, so where are you based? Well, uh, we are based in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. Okay. Um, and you look like you're in your shop. Is that a home shop or is that a, uh, what shop is that? This is, this is my personal motorcycle shop. It is in a commercial building that I operate a couple of other businesses out of as well. Okay. Well, um, let's get a little bit of your background. I mean, riding antique motorcycles is definitely kind of a, a niche within motorcycling. And obviously, uh, dedication to that, uh, to mo- antique motorcycles, to, to the degree that you would take on uh, the cannonball is even a uh, bigger commitment. So tell us how you got into riding antique motorcycles and, and uh, joining the cannonball. So it, ever since I was a very little kid, I've always liked motorcycles. Uh, my grandpa had Harleys, and he had stories and photo albums. And I fantasized about riding a, a motorcycle as old, old as grandpa had at some, some point. I think his oldest one is a 1934 Harley Davidson. Uh, grew up uh, fixing and repairing and restoring and taking care of antique tractors. The uh, the 1928 Moto Guzzi parked here is very similar to a tractor with its magneto and throttle and uh, choke and, and you know adjusting the valves on a regular basis. So very similar. Uh, I've always liked touring the country motorcycles. Uh, it's been a while since I've been raising a family, but my kids have pretty much grown up now, so I can go back, back to touring. So when I heard about Motorcycle Cannonball uh, during the event the last time around, I thought, was, how have I not heard of this event that combines two things I love so much, uh, motorcycling and tinkering with vintage motorcycles. So I applied. And then had to start looking for a motorcycle and settled on a, a, a Moto Guzzi from Italy and imported it uh, just to do this event. So uh, in terms of signing up for the Cannonball, it's not just a pay your money and you can get in. I uh, know it's limited to 100 entries, but uh, what's the application process like? So you do have to write an essay. It's pretty open. You know, a few questions about who you are, where you're from, but really the the essay portion they don't really disclose what they're looking for, but I'm pretty sure they're looking for somebody who's quirky enough to try this, uh, fit enough to try this. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's definitely a, a club that I'm looking forward to meeting many of the other members of. Uh, it's hard. It's 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 hard for some people to appreciate. You know, having a nearly 100 year old machine built by, designed and built by men who have been gone for generations. Uh, and women, I might say, and 
keeping it running, much less keeping it running to cross the entire country, you know, 3,800 miles, 17 days. It's, this is a, a monumental task. I mean, we've had a hard time just getting 150 miles a day. Wow. Okay. And we're week out. So this is going to be very challenging. Yeah. And do most uh, cannonball participants, do they ride solo? I mean, I know most of them are not bikes equipped with sidecars. So tell us about how you had a, a two-person effort. So to, to my knowledge, there are only three sidecars in the race, and all three of us are actually from Wisconsin. So there's a little little shout out to my buddies. <laughs> from the, I, when I originally entered Cannonball and ordered this particular machine from Italy, I had found two very similar, one with and one without the sidecar. And I thought, it's almost the same money. I might as well have a sidecar. The plan was to take it off. But then Brenda here, after several discussions after several beers over a period of several weekends <laughs> said let's, let's keep the sidecar on and put somebody in it so that's kind of where brenda's story picks up here. yeah so uh brenda you know what attracted you to the idea of participating well um just to see the country a little bit more um just there's so many things that cannonball has um, teased us with with some of the bridges that we'll cross, 18 tunnels, this the 3,800 miles, not on a freeway going a zillion miles an hour. Um, I tend to not like to always ride as fast as possible. I kind of slow down and this is giving me an opportunity just to like take it all in and go at a little slower pace. Right now we were doing a couple hundred miles the other day and we're between 32 and 45 miles per hour. Okay. So it's, it's going to be a way to see that's a lot an improvement. of stuff. That's an improvement. <laughs> 30, 32 we used to get. So. Right. Well, so since you've got this uh, 1928 Moto Guzzi, tell us a little bit about it. You said that you imported it from Italy. Tell us a little bit about its engine, its power and so forth, its provenance. Yes. yes. So this, this motorcycle is registered in 1928, but it is actually the 1929 and 30 model year. Okay. When we got the original registration, it was registered probably late 1928. So it was an early 29 release. Uh, the serial number though, is in the mid 6,000s, which makes it, uh, according to the whole antique Motoguzi community, the oldest known 1929 model year to remake, the oldest known machine of this kind. Motoguzi, Started in 1921, they built 450 motorcycles between 1921 and 1928, but they started winning a lot of races and getting a lot of attention. So they built 4,500 motorcycles for the 2930 model year. So that, that was a big bump for the company at that time. The, the bike had a, a reputation for being very reliable, being easily owner-maintained um, and, and good for endurance runs. One of the owners actually took a 1928 model from the factory in Northern Italy and did a like a 3,500 mile excursion up to the Arctic Circle and back to demonstrate the bike's capability. So I read that and then I read about the oil as a total sump system here. It's two and a half liters of oil for a 500cc motorcycle. That sounds pretty unusual, but the design is using that extra oil in a big oil tank with a big front surface facing the wind to help cool the engine. And the same oil lubricates both the engine uh, the top end and the lower end and the transmission, all, all of that's oiled in one continuous sump. So, so that helps cool this engine and keeps it running very healthy and strong. And that's the, the, those are the kind of key reasons I wanted this bike for this particular event here in the United States. 
So, so it's a 500cc single, is that correct? 500cc single. That's a good thumper. And right. a high compression engine. Okay. And um, do you have a rough idea with the sidecar what total weight of your uh, vehicle is? Yeah, I think I, I think the total weight's probably right around 600 pounds. I'm guessing okay. the motorcycle is between three, three and 400, and the sidecar is between two and 300. Now, we're used to looking at things like this sidecar, and it's this great big thing, and it's probably fiberglass. It's not. It's steel. It's like steel walls put <laughs> the whole sidecar frame is not chromoly. It's also steel. So this right. whole thing is quite heavy. Wow. Four five hundred cc machine. Yeah. So that's the weight of say a modern sport tour that could have, you know, a hundred and you know, twenty, hundred and fifty horsepower perhaps. And uh roughly what's the horsepower rating of this bike? You know, I don't recall the actual horsepower rating. I mean, we could we, we we're we're feeling really good if we can go 50 miles an hour downhill and continue <laughs> to accelerate in a mild, you know, incline. If we can continue accelerating in a mild incline, it's good horsepower. So. Yeah, we did 36 going uphill on Wednesday when we were out, and that was very impressive. Yeah, 36 miles an hour uphill. Wow. That's pretty yeah. good. <laughs> so uh, you found this bike in Italy. You imported it. Uh, what condition was it in? I mean, it looks pretty nice from here, but I'm just looking at yeah. the front of it. It looks like it's nice and polished up. So what condition was it when you received it from Italy? Yes. So, so unlike a lot of other cannonballers, a lot of other cannonballers start with an old machine that isn't running and have to first get it restored and roadworthy and running. Within five minutes of taking this out of the crate, I was able to actually start it and get it running. So that's that's very impressive. Now, the machine is also very forgiving. I was doing everything wrong at the time, and it's still it still <laughs> sticks up. So, so it's an interesting machine uh, from that regard. Um, I forgot the original question. Oh, well, uh, it was just what condition was it in when you when you got it from Italy and said, said you got it running right away? So the the dealership that was selling it on consignment for, for uh, the gentleman was in his 90s, I believe. They couldn't get good information from him on when it was restored and what its history was. So what what I can tell you from looking inside the motor, looking on the outside of the motor, Looking at the original drum brakes that were on the machine, it is a very, very high mileage machine. Okay. Very nicely restored, probably sometime in the 80s or the 1990s, and probably not used, if at all, um, or very much or if at all since. Okay. But the, the dealership that sold it to me made sure that it was running. Uh, so I at least started with something that was running and didn't have to figure that out first. Now, I've had to figure out a lot since then right. to get it already, and we've been through every single system multiple times uh, to tune and repair it. And we, we've also learned that you have to, you have to do maintenance on this motorcycle every 50, 100, 200 miles. So. Oh, okay. Well, so we're, you know, we're a couple of weeks out from the, the beginning of the cannonball. How, how long ago? What? One week. One week. One week. Yeah. Oh, I guess it is. Yeah. It's the last week. Okay. So yeah. um, how long have you had it and sort of what, tell us about the sort of preparation process for the cannonball. So we pulled it out of the crate around the 1st of June of last year. And, it, you know, the first thing was start riding it, see what breaks, see where its weak points are, learn how to fix those things. One of the, the first things we learned, I mean, after 100 miles, I had to do a valve adjustment. The valves, exhaust valve in particular, come out of so much playing it that you can hardly kickstart it anymore. But you fix that. So that's something we'll do every day. And actually, we have a checklist of about 60 things that we will do every day on the Cannibal Race that we start with. Pretty much a fresh motorcycle every day. And that should increase our chances of making 300 mile base. So, 
but things that we did, I mean, that then right away in July, I broke five spokes in the front wheel. So that kind of disabled us from riding it for a while. And researching and trying to keep original size spokes and respoke the wheel. I mean, I, I learned a lot respoking an old wheel. It's also the most challenging thing to do is an old metal, uh, you know, steel rim to an old hub and get that true. But we did. Coming around through all that, you know, I went to see another cannonballer, Docs, uh, Docs Harley in Shawano, Wisconsin. He's one of the other sidecar riders. He said, Jonas, change your wheels. They allowed you to change your wheels, put some safe wheels on there so you're not crashing because of broken spokes. Uh, update the disc brakes if you can and put some light on. Make sure you're visible. So we did all of those things. I mean, really, that's all we've really changed on this motorcycle is we put out a 12 volt LED light system that's powered by Milwaukee rechargeable batteries. We put, changed all of the wheels out and we added uh, a disc brake. We moved the brake from the front wheel of the motorcycle to the sidecar and changed it over to a hand operated disc brake there. So we're feeling, we're feeling, we got 36 miles an hour uphill, we got 50 miles an hour downhill, and we got stopping power. We got great stopping so we, we can do it. Well, so. you, you probably just say, answer one of my questions is what sort of um, modifications are allowed within uh, motorcycle cannonball rules? Uh, for safety, visibility, things like that. So you mentioned you've upgraded the brakes, you've got new wheels, uh, you've got a modern LED lighting system. Is there anything else that you need to do or that they allow you to do to make sure that you're roadworthy on a modern road and so forth? I mean, it, the the replaceables, like we've got a new chain, we make sure our sprockets, the chain and sprockets, right? Those things you can replace with new parts, obviously. But everything else, including the carburetor, and Magneto have to be period specific and maybe not original to that machine. Lucky for us, a lot of the numbers, the, all of the parts in the motor that are numbered do match. But right. the Magneto is something that might have been changed out. Uh, the carburetor it came with wasn't a 1928 version of the, the English ammo carb. It was the 1932 version. But I, we, we even stepped up a notch to the newer version of that. It's type 276 because it pulls all the air through a filter. Instead of through orifices getting dirt uh, run through the engine. So period relevant or period specific modifications are allowed, right? Okay. It, most guys had a wooden box on the back to carry stuff around. So almost all the cam ballers have a box on the back so they carry stuff around. I've, I've seen that in some photos. Yeah. So uh, now um, you mentioned that uh, you've got a, a 60 item checklist that you'll do at the end of every day. Uh, what is a typical, I, I know this, is this your first cannonball, as you said, this for both I of you? Yep, yep, we're, yeah. we're cannonball versions, so to speak. Okay, so um, uh, 3,800 miles in 17 days, uh, so I can't do the math in my head, but you're looking at, what, 150, 200 miles a day, roughly? Is that what is that about what it is? Most of the days are between 200 and 300. I mean, really, oh, wow. 35, 250, 260, there's one that's 299. And then the very last day is only 95 miles when we get the ocean side. So you're looking at very early starts, long days, and then at the end of the day, you've got to go, What about how long will it take to go through a 60-item checklist of maintenance? So I've got help to do that okay. part. The 60 items, when we practice it here uh, with just two people wrenching on the bike, it's, it was an hour and a half. And I think... Our third time in, it's only going to be an hour to do the regular maintenance, okay. which takes plenty of time for the unanticipated maintenance, the things <laughs> that aren't supposed to break. Right. Yeah. So. yeah, there's some um, really fun things that are planned for us in the communities. The communities are really like um, 
welcoming us in and we we have a reception of sorts that we're we're responsible to be at for at least a couple hours yeah. a night so we will take questions people will be coming through to see all the antique bikes some of our friends can join us at those um the days end of that particular um map that we endure every single day so and then we'll be back at the hotel working yeah. on the bike and getting ready for the next day so I'm trying to imagine what it's like to be, you know, sitting on your front porch somewhere in Knoxville, Tennessee on a township road, right? Not a main road. <laughs> right. And an antique motorcycle goes by and then another one and then another one. <laughs> 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 yeah. Well, for, I mean, for anybody who's listening, uh, I think you can go to MotorcycleCannonball.com. They've actually got the daily itinerary. So you can look and see if the cannonball is going to come through your town. Again, it's between September 7th and September 24th, I believe. So yeah, obviously if it's near where you live, go check out the the traveling circus. I'm sure it's going to be quite uh, quite a show to see all the bikes and, and so forth. So um, what are some of the rules as a daily participant? Uh, you know, like I said, we talked a little bit about your bike, but what is it that you can and can't do throughout the day between point A and point B? The, the two biggest things under no circumstance are we allowed to communicate with our team. Like I, I can't call my mechanic and ask for help or advice to fix something, nor can they come rescue us if we break down during the day. Okay. Uh, that's, that's just prohibited. The other thing that's not allowed, we're, we're allowed to have our cell phones with us for safety. Um, and they want us to, of course, post pictures on social media, but we are not allowed to use our phones to know where we are. We, 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 that would be cheating to look at the, Google Maps or Apple Maps on our phone. So we can't use that to get us unlost if we get lost. Uh, we have to use the paper map and back backtrack and figure out how to get on the right route if we ever get off the route. And we we did hear that there's going to be some checkpoints and we're not we're not sure where they will be and it, they might not even be visible to us. So right. someone may be there calculating us going by and saying, you know, number 36 went by, 53 went by. Or whatever. So yeah. though and that will that will um anticipate how many points we get as we get through each day's yeah. rally map. That's why there's a 36 placard on either side of the motorcycle that has to be clearly visible. Uh, so somebody could be hiding behind a bush with a clipboard and some binoculars or something, and right. they're just like, all right, that one went by, that <laughs> one went by. <laughs> so well, um, so the daily route, you said that you can't use a cell phone for, for assistance with navigation. Uh, the daily routes are not provided in advance. Is that correct? Correct. They're provided in the morning of. And, morning of. Rally and you get you get a roll chart similar to kind of like an enduro style rally? Yes. And then exactly you get a like little a, twist. It's exactly like an enduro style rally. So it's okay. a rally with the same software. Turn by turn instructions will fit fit in this holder. Okay. And then we'll scroll it. And then what do you do to keep track? Because those are based on mileage. What do you yeah. do to keep track of your mileage? We're allowed to have an odometer. Okay. We're allowed to have an odometer that uses GPS. Okay. We learned, glad we learned it now that a lot of backroads don't have access to the GPS satellites. So we were we were a couple hours with no mileage when we we're doing a practice run here in rural Wisconsin. Okay. So we switched out. I switched out to old bicycle style. Sure. Uh, but I, I managed to find one that doesn't require you to attach a magnet and have the magnets read. It's actually got a little device that you Velcro to the wheel hub, 
there's accelerometers inside there so it can figure out when it's changing direction and it can count the wheel revelations and do the math on our speed and our, our odometer. So we'll have we'll know how far from the start of the day we've traveled. And that's how the instructions lay out. Like if, if you're 13.8 miles in, you need to turn left on something. Right. Okay. So okay. we're not experts at that. Neither one of us. <laughs> uh, yeah. We haven't really had a chance to make our own maps and practice, which doesn't yeah. count if we make a map that goes somewhere we've already been to before. Right. Right. You don't know if you're lost. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you're off track. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, I've never done an enduro rally of any of that kind myself, but anything I've ever read or people I've talked to that navigation is as big of a challenge, if not more of a challenge than the actual riding itself, because that's an important part. You get off track, you miss a checkpoint. So this is a an event where there is an ultimate winner based on points accumulation. And, and how are those points tallied? Yeah. So the it's one point per mile traveled. Okay. The different classes of motorcycles. I'm not sure if if we each each class gets a different handicap. So I know we're in class one, which is the weakest, smallest, fiddly motorcycle. So we're under <laughs> five. Uh, we're in class one. We we aren't supposed to be competing, at least not without a handicap points against the you know the 1200 cc B twins. Right. Uh, I had heard we get extra handicap points for sidecar for three speed. Um, so there may be different points we can earn, but if we if we just set our goal on finishing every day on time without a breakdown, like always be moving, always be moving, right. I think we'll be okay. Right, we'll be all right. Well, and it, it releases us like a couple hours earlier than the maybe an hour earlier. Yeah, in the morning ahead of the Gotcha. So if you let's say you've got a two hundred mile day. Um, if you were to uh, break down on day uh, on mile ten, and you couldn't solve the problem, I mean, you can fix a bike yourself on the side of the road if you if you're or, you know if you if it's fixable. Uh, yeah. But you would get, let's say, you went ten miles, you had a breakdown, you couldn't get it fixed, and then you had somebody would somebody come pick you up, and you would just get ten mile ten points for the day. Is that kind of it? However, it's handicapped. But if you yeah. went 190 miles and broke down, uh, and you had to still be transported to the hotel, uh, you would get 190 points, right? Is that how it kind of works? Okay. Either the 190 or maybe up to the most recent checkpoint. Oh, okay. Sure. Gotcha. All right. Yeah. You get right. partial credit or partial completion. Yeah. Okay. No, that's uh, no, that's good. That's that's interesting. Like I said, this is I've I've read about the cannibal, always been fascinated by it, but I didn't quite know the the particulars of of how the event was run and organized and what some of its its rules were. So um I, I want to ask about uh, the people that uh, this is obviously not just an effort of just the two of you. Uh, you're both here in this interview. But first of all, I wanna, uh, you have a name for your Moto Guzzi. What is that? Renata. Renata. And what's the what's the story behind the name? Well, um, Jonas's wife, Julie, picked the name based on um, the name being rebirth or reborn or um, it has a little bit of strength in it for description. Adventure. It's adventure. an old Roman goddess of adventure and, and rebirth. So oh, we're seems, not a dream team. Right. That seems very appropriate. So tell us about, uh, you know, your, your team, your support, your supporters. Uh, you know, like I said, I, I, I know this is a this is a team effort. So, Well, I, I had asked a couple of friends of mine locally who were who I thought might have enough free time or, or retired enough to have enough free time or be interested in. Before I knew it, 
something I thought I was going to do alone. I had a, I had a team of actually there's 11 of us wow. uh, on this team that have done a lot of work over the last year and a half to help prepare for this event. And there are a total of eight of us going on the actual cannonball adventure. Um, and three of us are leaving in the van on, on Sunday, next Sunday. And then there's a, uh, actually four of us. One's riding. Our lead mechanic, Chris, is actually riding his okay. Harley Davidson Um And then there's uh, four folks that are joining us in West Virginia, or in Virginia Beach by flight. They're flying down. So, okay. so it, it's amazing to have a team. So, well, I mean, in terms of the support and, and uh, I mean, obviously this is uh, not an inexpensive endeavor. You not only had to buy the motorcycle and import it, but you had to do a lot of preparation and so forth. So um, do you have some sponsorship support, some help like that? We do. We have, we have some incredible supporters. Well, I, I mean, I want to start with the grassroots supporters locally in our community. I mean, a lot of people, even if all they did just buy a t-shirt, right? Just buying a t-shirt is helping us out. We've got a, a count me in level of sponsorship. We started when we launched the website, I think in what, February. And for a hundred bucks, we put together a nice swag bag, a couple t-shirts, and we've got probably 75 people from our local community and my network and Brenda's network that have all pitched in. That's helped a lot. Uh, but then, you know, we've got corporate sponsors that basically sponsor today and we're putting a sign on the beer box. You know, today's miles made possible in part by we've got a, a dozen of those sponsors and then two really big sponsors. We really have to give a big shout out to Klein. The motorcycle gear company has completely outfit us with a lot of gear uh, for all conditions from sea level to, you know, the Monarch Pass, 11,300 feet. Rain we're, gear. We're prepared for rain. We're prepared for snow. We're prepared for heat. We will be dry and comfortable. Yeah. Like we might suck at a couple other things. <laughs> But we'll be warm and dry, or we'll be cool and dry. So yeah, and Klein makes fantastic gear. So if you guys are outfitted with their stuff, yeah, you know, hot, cold, you know, it, you'll be you'll be all set. So Power Sports, another big shout out. Power Sports. There are other platinum sponsor. They're a dealer here, dealership here in Wisconsin with half a dozen locations, to my knowledge. They I mean they sell Honda motorcycles. They sell some cool electric motorcycles. They've got a lot of lawn and garden equipment, but they really stepped up helping us with stuff. Stuff that we would have had to spend a lot of money on. You know, parts, like generator, yeah. parts, yeah. chain, oil, sure. chain clean. Anything that we need to clean or lubricate the bike, they're helping us out with. And they've been just outstanding. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, and I've been riding for 20 years. And um, 13 of those years, I've ridden with an all-female social riding group called Stilettos on Steel. And... Um, I am the Wisconsin ambassador for the Stilettos, and our president, Anne, um, sponsored us for a day. So um, just a big shout out to all the Stilettos that are meeting us in Cape Girardeau and in Utah and in Virginia Beach and in California. We have girls meeting us throughout the trip. And um, Fantastic. That's great. Yeah, it's a real blessing. Well, I mean, family support, community support, um, you know, uh, the the corporate support, all that. So if anybody's listening, uh, you have merch that's available. If somebody wanted to buy something online, how would they find that? We do. You can go to our website. It's www.peglegspeedshop.com. And we do have a store there uh, for merchandise. We have a store there for sponsors. Um, 
And then uh, there's a link there. You can also get to our YouTube channel. Uh, we will be uploading videos at least once daily, maybe a couple times daily, uh, you know, explaining what's happening along the route, uh, what the adventure's looking like. Great. Most popular shirt, though, is the one with the cannonball map on the back, and it has most of our stops. So almost everybody is really, um, you know, dying to get their hands on one of our peg leg speed shops with the yeah. cannonball run on the back. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, we'll include links to your uh, website and social media channels, YouTube and so forth uh, in the show notes. Uh, so your social media channels, though, uh, the ha- handle would be Peg Leg Speed Shop for all of those? Yes. Yep. Peg Leg Speed Shop. Fantastic. Nobody took it yet. So yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, uh, in terms of, of again, preparation, I, I, you know, I'm just curious about what it is that you take with you since you are you both have to be self-sufficient you can't get any outside support so what is it that you would take with you uh on a daily route or daily ride i'm glad you asked that because brendan and i are both adventure tours we've we've both done you know multi-state cross-country riding before and we kind of started with that mentality we loaded up so much stuff on the bike (laughs) and realized we only need with us what we might need that, that day. day. So if there's no rain in the forecast, we don't need to take rain here. I'll be cut back. Like I'm prepared to fix a, a flat inner tube, right. but I, I'm not going to tear apart and fix a whole flat tire on the side of the road like like you would. I mean, that's it, it, it's going to take over an hour and it'd be really tough to get that done. So if we have a major flat tire, we're just going to get on the, the, the broken bus, the short bus and trailer <laughs> the bike back. Right. So, so even tools and stuff, we really, really pared back. Looking at weight, I want to reduce the weight as much as we can. Right. Even the extra auxiliary gas can, if I know we're going to have gas within 50 miles, and our range is about 75, I'm not going to take extra gas with us because it's just that's a couple pounds I can just shed. Right. So. Right. And in terms of, I mean, again, these are going to be long days. So, I mean, are you going to be eating snack bars and protein bars on the on the road? Or are you going to have a gas stops? So you actually have dedicated lunch stops or anything like that? Or what, how does this work? There's a couple, couple of good days where there's an organized lunch stop. Um, they really they're kind of required, us. I yeah, think. Okay. So but otherwise, yeah, we'll have some, you know, we're, we're pretty healthy. We probably eat more healthy snacks on the bike than we do if we're out in public. But it's just nice to be able to have a little protein quick if we need it and a lot of water and sunscreen and sunshine and because we we just don't want to bake, especially if we do have to be on the side of the road. We, we decided to pack an umbrella just in case. Smart. Super smart. Yeah. So, well, I mean, so uh, obviously it's going to be September. So where variable uh, weather can be variable, not just time of, you know, year, but uh, different places. So are there specific areas that you know you're passing through that you're looking at as uh, challenges or, you know, something you're a little bit dreading? Yes. Um, I did look up the, the average temperature in each of our destinations and the elevation and the elevation change. But some some days that really stick out. One day is going to be Colorado Springs to Montrose, Colorado. So we started 6,000 feet and we go over 200 miles and we climb up to 11,300 foot elevation. So that's, that's like a vertical mile of climbing. And then we have to descend a vertical mile that same day yet. So between the carburation and the brakes, 
that's going to be a challenging day. The the day in Utah, Green River to Kanab, uh, Utah, that's the 300 mile day. Okay. That's country. It's probably not going to be a lot of fast going roads. So that's going to be a 10 hour, probably 10, maybe 11, 12 hour day. Right. Right. And it's probably going to be hot. Too. And it's going to be hot. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, some of those desert areas in September can be pretty hot. Yeah. A number of us riders that I've talked to are worried about carburation getting up over the Rocky Mountains and worried about heat coming down into Southern California and Utah and Nevada, Southern California. Yeah, if you're going to Oceanside, I haven't looked at the route, but I mean, you're going to have to go across some desert areas. And obviously, you're talking about Utah, but definitely Southern California. That, that can be easily over 100 degrees and really, really hot. And uh, so uh, I'm a big believer in hydration packs and, and cooling vests and things like that uh, whenever I know I have to ride across those areas in the summertime. Um, so, so, you know, since your traveling speed that you're talking about is lower than your average traffic traffic speed, even on a back road, because on back roads, some people ride even, drive even faster because there's nobody there. But so... What what are your what are the uh, maybe the the rules or what are you supposed to do to sort of maintain visibility given that you're going to be a slower moving vehicle on some of these public roads? So the we we do have to have reflective tape on the back okay. of our vehicles. Um, I don't know if it has to be in the slow moving vehicle triangle, but we are planning on having a slow moving vehicle triangle with us. Okay. I mean, I think that'll be helpful, especially in the more rural areas where more people know what that means. Right. I am concerned about, you know, being on a, a long straight road in Kansas and having a, and a, a, you know, township road and still having a diesel truck come up behind us to 75 miles an hour. Yeah. Because that's what you do out there. And our top speed is 35 or 40, even yeah. on that condition. So we are required to have a flashing strobe light with us to put on the back if the weather conditions are at all dark or stormy or we're going through tunnels like dark tunnels. We're considering just running that stroke. It's a bicycle light. Sure. Just put it flashing red all the time. That would be smart. I, I could see that as a, as a as a wise move. Because, like you said, if somebody is you know, especially if they're you know, if it's a route for them, it's a, a trucking route or traveling route, and they're going at a high rate of speed and they're kind of zoned out because they do it all the time. Something that gets their attention, they're like, wait, what 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 is that thing? You know, is it an Amish buggy? <laughs> but if it were black, maybe it would be. But so yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I so I was just um it's interesting because the things that you can encounter on a on a motorcycle trip uh out in the middle of nowhere that are just very unexpected. I uh was in Idaho for a Yamaha press launch and I was able to ride the motorcycle home and I had two days to do that. Road south from Boise right through uh, southwestern Idaho, which there's nothing there. It's just high desert. And I passed a, uh, a you know, Department of Transportation, one of those orange utility hazard signs that was lit up. It said, slick road next 50 miles. And I was thinking, oh, no, they put down a layer of oil or something like that. What did they do? And I'm going along and, um, and I'm on a sport tour. So I'm going 75 miles an hour. It's mostly straight roads. And I see all this black stuff all over the road. It looks like I didn't know if there were little bits of rubber or little tar balls i couldn't quite tell what it was and when i came to a stop i realized that everything on the ground that's black is moving they were mormon crickets for 50 well actually for more than 50 miles because at the 50 mile mark was the nevada border millions and millions and millions of mormon crickets for whatever reason they weren't in the air i wasn't hitting them with my bike but they were just plastered all over the road and so they were some of them were alive some of them were squished it was just the craziest thing i've ever experienced so um, I'm sure you'll encounter something that you wouldn't expect that won't just be wind or rain or something like that. So, yeah. 
sure we will. That this is a thing that you guys have been preparing for for you know well over a year. Uh, you've got about a week out. So, kind of, what's the countdown look like for you guys? The, there's a few very small things we want to do yet. Some minor tweaking on the sidecar adjustment. I do want to try uh, adding a rear sprocket with an extra tooth or two to see if we can get a little higher top speed without compromising our getting started off the line. We've got to practice starting this thing. It is really, really teaching me a lot right now. Renata's being really difficult when it comes to hot starts. I can okay. cold start. I'm having a lot of challenges hot starting. So, And the only thing that's going to fix that is starting it three or four times a day from now until launch day. So. Okay. Have to do that. And work on some other carbs. We want to have backup carburetors ready to go. But right. we we had to leave today. We're ready. We're ready. Yeah. yeah. So uh I know that we trying to do a recording of the starting process. Uh we wouldn't get the audio to work on, on, on this Zoom call, but but if you can do it, you say you have video clips of starting the bike. We'd love to maybe include one of those. So one, hear what your bike sounds like, but also maybe you can walk us through what that starting process is because most of us are just used to thumbing a starter. So uh, yeah. it's a multi-step process that you've kind of got to do a lot of things to get just right. So, yeah, we'd love to see that. So. We, I did repeat last week's attempt with the same video and the same explanation. I think you'll like it very much. Okay, that's great. And, you know, in terms of the things that you said that you're uh, on the bike, you're really trying to minimize weight. So you really don't want to bring anything with you that's not essential so your toolkit, I imagine, has got to be just, you know, pared down to what you know are the essentials. You're not going to do a major overhaul on the side of the road. But what, what do you consider like your vulnerabilities? Like here are the things that if there's a weak point, here's what I need to carry with me in terms of spare parts and some tools for that. Uh, many spare plugs. I mean, if anything starts going wrong and I follow up a plug, it's just easier to replace it with a better plug. Yeah. So I've got four extra spark plugs early on. When you couldn't kickstart it, a lot of times you just change spark plug and it can't run. So we've got plenty of those. I do have some really nice, thin, lightweight titanium wrenches. So anything that comes loose, I can tighten up. I'm carrying a little container of extra nuts and bolts that that are fitting anywhere around the bike. A lot of things are vibrating off. You can't put enough Loctite on everything. You can't, you're not going to find everything, but got a lot of them. I'm prepared, you know, the little rubber O-ring that's on the gas cap. You're gonna, I'm going to pick that up and I can't find it, right? So I've got an extra O-ring. I don't want to be spilling gas all over the place. So simple things that, that aren't going to take up a lot of space or weight that might save me a lot of time. Uh, we've got along. I do have a very interesting single point jack where together I'll be able to lift and put this prop under. We'll be able to get a wheel off. Okay. It's a lot different with a sidecar than just being a motorcycle to get right. to tip it over, right? Right, so right. Pull that out. I've got to lift it up. And we have to be able to do the, these things on our own, too. So so you're right. I'm not prepared to overhaul something or replace a magneto on the road, things like that. But, you know, the, the small things that might happen, a broken cable here and there, or uh, missing fastener, or missing nut, something like that, I should be able to repair it. Well, I have to say, you know, Jonas, Brenda, this sounds like one heck of an adventure. I admire you both. I have a lot of respect. I mean, it's really cool to hear that, you know, you had an idea. You had, you know, like you said, you've been into antique motorcycles. You hear about the cannonball, like, wow, I didn't even know this really existed. And then to just, you know, set your mind to it. You know, you had to acquire a bike. You had to do the preparation. You've been doing this for well over a year. And you know that there's not really going to be anything easy about this experience. It's a challenge to you know, keep the bike running. It's got to be both of you. It's going to be long miles. It's going to be long hours. And you've got to do this day after day after day. So uh, I, you know, 
I wish you both the best. I again, I commend you both for your your efforts and your commitment to doing this. And like I said, I know this is a team effort. I know you've got a lot of people behind you. I'm sure of family, friends, uh, community, all that really makes uh, a big difference. Uh, like I said, you've got some wind in your sails, so that's great. Spouses, yeah. Hey, hey, we have a team, Team Thirty Six. We've already committed. We're doing this again in 2025. So you haven't seen the months. The next time might not be a Motoguzi. We don't know. We don't know yeah. what year, but we are going to do this again. Fantastic. Well, hey, I really enjoyed speaking with both of you. And of course, we've talked about the lead up. I would love to talk to you both after the cannonball is over. I want to hear about your experience. This is a first time thing. I know you're going to learn a lot. You're going to have a lot of you know unexpected things happen and experiences. Uh, I hope that you're both able to finish and get to Oceanside and 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 place well. Uh, so again, I, I wish you both the best of luck. Thanks for being on the show. Thank yeah, you very much. Greg, we will we will have some live video from every single day while we're on the road on our YouTube channel. So if anyone wants to go to the YouTube channel right now, we have the the shipping, the uncrating, the first start. Um, Jonas and I riding in the snow last March. <laughs> there, there's a lot of extra information on that website yeah. other than the sponsorship and yeah. and that and such. So if you go there, you can see some of our live stuff. So well, yeah, fantastic. So peglegspeedshop.com, uh, peglegspeedshop on you know YouTube, uh, Instagram, Facebook, find them on social media, go check out some of their videos, uh, go buy a shirt. You know, they every I'm sure every dollar helps, every dollar counts. So uh, again, I, I think this will be a great adventure. We look forward to hearing how it goes. Thanks, Greg. Awesome. For the Rider Magazine Insider Podcast, I'm Greg Drevenstead. Thanks for listening and keep the rubber side down. If you've enjoyed listening to the Rider Magazine Insider Podcast, please subscribe, leave us a positive rating, and tell your friends. We also encourage you to visit ridermagazine.com, where you can get the latest in motorcycle news and reviews and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. You can also subscribe to print and digital editions of Rider Magazine, which is published 12 times a year. Thanks again for listening.